Well, good morning, New Life Manitou. I'm glad to say hello, hello, hello. Glad to see all of you this fine fall morning. If there was any question, it's blowing in. It's beautiful. Man, it's the best month of the year this week, this week. (laughs) Then it'll be gone. We'll be covered in snow. Let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, we, um, we've lifted your name high with our words and our songs, and now we need you to speak, because all of this is just, <laughs> it's empty, it's foolish, it is a farce if you do not show up and speak. And so, Jesus, we say, speak. Holy Spirit, we say, come. We invite you into this space among us and within us. And so breathe life into us, resurrection life, and raise the places where we are dead and slay the places where we are um, corrupt or sick. Make us new creations. We ask in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, we are in our, you can go ahead and turn to Galatians. We're in our 252nd sermon in the book of Galatians. <laughs> just seeing who's awake this morning. It feels like Galatia, I guess it's just the summer or something that is just like, we've been in it for a while and we've got just a little ways to go. We're going to be in Galatians 4. Um, it's starting in verse 21 today. And while you're turning there, loading it up, whatever you're doing, um, let's remember what Galatians is all about because um, you can't just draw drop into the middle of a conversation and just like pretend like you know what's going on. You, anyone know people who do this? Like you just come in and you're like nodding or laughing at the joke and you're like, you don't know what's happening. But I'm just, the social convention prevents me from saying that. But, that, or I am that person a lot of times. Like, oh, yes, yes. So um, let's remember really quickly what the overall message of Galatians is, what Paul has been communicating to um, the Church of Galatia, he's been communicating this. Jesus has rescued you. You, y'all, to the Galatians, but including the people there. You into his multi-ethnic, blessed-to-be-a-blessing family. That is what he has rescued. He has rescued not someone else, you. Israel's Messiah, he's been saying, has finally arrived and he rules the world. He's ascended into heaven and he rules the world with love and justice as the prophets of Israel had always promised that he would. The Jewish Messiah is king and he's putting the world back together by putting a family together and then putting the people in that family back together. Healing us so that we can join in his project of healing the world. It's really good news. If you haven't heard it, Jesus is Lord. Um, But, but, there's a big but. That's funny. Uh, You just needed that push. The, The Jesus followers in Galatia, many of whom are not ethnically Jewish, they're not ethnically Jewish, are experiencing pressure to become more Jewish. Like, you need to eat kosher. You need to practice purity rituals. You need to observe Jewish Sabbath. And men, you need to have 
a little surgery. Um, you need to get circumcised is what's being said. That's a little funny too, but we're just going to go right on past that. In short, you need to, <laughs> it's funny. Um, if you love and follow Jesus is what the Galatians are hearing, you will obey Jewish Torah all of the Jewish laws and customs. And Paul is hearing this and he's like, no way. Thank you, thank you, Galatians in two words. That's what, no way, that's not what it is. He's saying, if, if you're trying to become more Jewish, you're actually missing the whole point about the Jewish Messiah. The point is that the Jewish Messiah now rules over the non-Jewish nations. The non-Jewish nations don't need to become Israel. He's, he's rescuing even them, even non-Israelites. That, that was the promise of what would happen forever ago. And the only appropriate response to the truth of Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, is Lord, is that you'll just, and that he includes you in his multi-ethnic, blessed to be a blessing family. The only appropriate response is to simply trust that this is true. Simply trust. It's already, it's already done. To have faith is, what he, is the language that he uses in Galatians. Any other response to the, would be missing the sheer gift, the sheer grace of this new reality. If you're trying to become Jewish, you're actually denying by your actions that Israel's Messiah really loves and rules Every, the whole world. You're trying to make God's family for the world into God's tribe against the world is what you're doing. Jesus really is for those people. Everyone, for these people, us in Galatia, the people who, um, he's really for us, but they're saying Jesus is really for the, only the people who say or do the right things. They're trying to make the, the, the world's true king into maybe like another just tribal warlord. <laughs> you know, if some like, us against you, you must conform to who we are before we will love you, is what they're saying. And um, you're making what should be freedom into like a new kind of slavery. Um, but instead of being enslaved to ignorance or to wandering or to brokenness, instead of being enslaved to that in this new world, you would be enslaved to um, self-deluded pride is what you would be enslaved. Or to self-righteous nationalism. We, by birth or by choice, we are God's favorite people. But here's the thing. It's a word for the first century and it's a word for the 21st century as well. God doesn't have favorite peoples or nations or groups. He just doesn't. God does choose people. He does have chosen ones, but they're not favorite ones. God chooses people for the sake of helping the world. God chose Israel back in Genesis 12 to bless the entire world. That's Israel's national narrative from its very inception. Abraham's family is the chosen ones. They're chosen to bless everyone. And now, because of their Messiah, the world is becoming 
part of this family, part of this blessed to be a blessing family. And he's been saying all of this in the incendiary book of Galatians. And now in our passage today, he's about to ask the Galatians to do something very hard. Some scholars argue that this is the big, the big takeaway from, that he's asking of the Galatians. So let's listen to it, um, what he wants them to say and do. Um, verse 21, tell me, you who want to be under Torah, the Torah. Oh, and this is, I've modified the NIV right here so that the word nomos, law, is uh, Israel's Torah. We're just saying it that way. And that the word Christ is Messiah because that's what the words mean. Um, just so you know what the modified means. Tell me, you who want to be under the Torah, are you not aware of what the Torah says? So people are telling you, you need to do all these things to obey the Jewish Torah. But can I tell you a story from the Torah? Listen carefully to see if you can hear what he's telling them to do as we read this. Um, but, or really what he's having scripture tell them to do. Verse 22. It is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. So one was born based on what Abraham could do, the flesh, and the other was born because of what God could do. Uh, God fulfilled his divine promise. Verse 24. These things are being taken figuratively. So he's, it's, uh, he's using these uh, analogically here. The, the, woman, the women represent two covenants, two different ways of approaching God. One covenant is from Mount Sinai. That's actually where Israel received um, the Torah with Moses, you know, lightning, lava, fire. Um, and I don't know about lava, but fire. Um, and bears children who are to be, so Mount Sinai bears, births children who are to be slaves, this is Hagar, is what he says. Verse 25. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that we can't see, the Jerusalem that is above, is free, and she is our mother. For it is written... And he quotes the prophet Isaiah right here. Be glad, a barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud. You who were never in labor because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now, you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, you are children of promise. At that time, the son, according to the flesh, persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. It is for freedom that Messiah has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And all God's people said, whoa, 
that, that went in an unexpected direction. <laughs> what is he talking about? Let's back up and see if we can track with Paul for a second here. The story that he is telling us is from Genesis 16. It's the story of how Israel got started in the first place, way back in the day with Father Abraham. Abraham had been promised by God that he would have this giant family. There's only one problem. This Abraham, originally named Abram, um, ain't got no kids. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to have a family, but I don't have one. I don't have any kids. And Abram and his wife, Sarai, um, take things into their own hands. Um, and they force an Egyptian slave named Hagar, um, which literally means immigrant, um, Tell me that the Bible's not subversively speaking to us about what we do to those around us. They force their Egyptian slave, Hagar, to bear his child. The story is not flattering to Abraham uh, or to Sarah. They are, they're, it's certainly not a story approving of what they've done. They are taking things into their own hands, thinking, we've got to do this. And so before Abraham and Sarah have Isaac, the child of promise, Abraham ends up forcing a slave to have his son. And then you flip over a couple of chapters and you find Isaac born, finally. Isaac's born. God fulfilled. God makes good on his promises. And the story says, this is in Genesis um, chapter 21, actually. The child grew, this is Isaac, and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast, but Sarah saw that the son, Ishmael, that's the oldest one that he's had uh, by Hagar, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had born to Abraham, Ishmael was Isaacing, is what it says. He was laughing. That's what Isaac means. He was... Uh, he, the, the text is making a play on Isaac's name. Isaac means he laughs, and he's saying Ishmael the older is laughing at little baby laughter, is what the Bible's really smart. Um, ancient Jewish interpretation of this passage interpreted this as some kind of maltreatment, like laughing, like, like as a kid could laugh maniacally, you know, in some sort of way, like mocking at least, or maybe physical or even sexual abuse at the worst is the way the people interpreted this passage. The Genesis story doesn't spell it out, just let, like lets it hang there ambiguously. But whatever this is, it's not good because Sarah sees Ishmael Isaacing, and verse 10, and she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. That's the line. That's the story. And then that's the line right there that Paul chooses to punch in verse 30. What does scripture say? Get rid of her. Get rid of him. Paul tells the story for that particular line. These people who are wanting you to become slaves to tribalism, to join up with God's nation and become slaves to nationalism, to become slaves to self-righteousness, slaves to earning God's favor and securing it in some way. Throw them out. 
we get overwhelmed right in the middle part where he starts developing the images further. And I mean, you, I almost didn't read it because you can get the point. But when he starts talking about mountains and cities and Arabia and Sinai and two different Jerusalems, like we can get lost a little bit. It's a rhetorical kind of building. But his basic point is this. If they want to be slaves, fine. Y'all don't be slaves with them. Don't put up with them. Don't let them define you. These are hard words. These are hard words. And that's why Paul lets scripture drop the punchline. Throw them out. Throw out those who are enslaved and want to enslave others. They're actually hard words for Abraham to hear. In the story in Genesis, um, this is what Sarah told Abraham to do. And Sarah, uh, Abraham's actually really bothered by it, just to put a, pin, a bow on the story right here in Genesis 21. The matter, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son, Ishmael, concerned him. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Ishmael, I'm going to take care of him. God says to Abraham, there's no good answer to this situation. You guys have taken things into your own hands. This is a mess. There's no good solution to Ishmael laughing, whatever that meant. So, Verse 12, you can listen to Sarah. I'll work goodness out of this mess. I will work good. This is so thematic to like all of Genesis, by the way. The whole story of Genesis is about a, like a hurricane of horrible human choices and the God who ventures into the eye of that hurricane and then redirects human evil towards goodness is what he does. You can listen to Sarah. The whole situation is sub-ideal. It's hard and messy. No one's getting what they want, but I'll take care of them. I'll make a great nation out of him too. Paul isn't presenting to the Galatians something easy. Imagine if somebody was like, you've got these people in New Life Manitou that have got to go. <laughs> How brutally hard would that be? He's not presenting them with something easy to do, but it's something that's got to happen is what he's doing. And so the Messiah's family is a community of equality and oneness and any kind of elitism or better than-ism is gonna destroy the family. There's no room for elitism in the kingdom of God. There's no room for new forms of slavery. And so I know it's going to be a hard thing to do, but they've got to go. Speaking of hard things to do, um, about a month after, uh, or about a month ago over Labor Day weekend, our, fi- um, our five-year-old and four-year-old uh, got to go to the beach with Joy and I. Um, speaking of hard things to do. Uh, 
And that way, actually not at the hard thing yet, <laughs> but, but I have learned that family vacations are more tr- tiring for, uh, than children can possibly imagine. Um, we went to the, uh, to the beach, and uh, we went to the beach. We packed up, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, we packed up the car. We headed to the beach to the, um, to the great state of Nebraska. Um, Apparently, there's a really big lake on the southwest corner of Nebraska, just over the border of, from Colorado. It's a man-made lake. It's like 15 miles long and like two or three miles across. Lake McConaughey um, is actually made on, trivia, on indigenous Nebraska sand. Who knew? Like this whole thing has got beach around it because there's sand there. Anyway, we have friends who invited us up and we enjoyed this like long weekend. And uh, this is my sweet younger uh, daughter, Daisy. Um, and she, uh, she's been breaking hearts since Labor Day 2021. And um, on our last day, the girls like played their little guts out at the beach. And they were, um, we were grilling out at the beach, uh, or not at the beach, but later that night after the beach, to celebrate our uh, friend's birthday. And this sweet little gumdrop right here, who had played, out her, who played her sweet little guts out at the beach, was sitting in my lap, like facing me, and she gave like this look, like not everything's okay. And then she proceeded to spill her sweet little guts out all over my lap. It was, I know, it is. Um, we, we think it was like partial, partially exhaustion from a very full weekend and maybe it was some kind of stomach bug because Daphne ended up with it, our oldest ended up with it uh, like a day or two later. Whatever it was, the, the, my normal re, the normal reaction that you have to somebody spilling their guts all over your lap, on your shirt, on your hands, like everywhere, is what's your normal reaction? This is not a trick question. It's, yeah, it's, it's yuck. It's disgust. Like, like, what the good gravy? Let's get this off. It looks like gravy. Like, what did, what, like, what did you eat? And then, but something actually was really weird. I, this is a parenting moment, and you know, it, it doesn't always happen like this. But something very different happened in this moment. I watched like the entire thing happen, and I was like completely calm. I was like completely like centered, almost zen-like, you know, in the, in the span of like however long this took in like 90 seconds or whatever. I was just calmly like patting her back and I was telling her like, everything's okay. You're gonna feel better, you know. And then, um, and this is really weird because like I'm no hero when it comes to vomit. I promise if you meet me afterwards and you like vomit all over me, I am not gonna be able to keep it together. So don't, no, whoever the joker is in the room is gonna try... But for a brief moment in that moment, something like deeper was guiding me than my perfectly normal revulsion to being covered in someone else's vomit. It was like something deep within me, some kind of like deep identity. I am Papa Brett, like that's what they call me. Papa, like the depths of me, like who I understand myself to be on behalf of this little human, like was like took over for a second and was guiding me. That core identity enabled me to do something hard, if you follow what I'm saying. Something that would normally be like repulsive and I'd be like, you know, gagging or something, but being Papa 
to Daisy is so important. It's so central to who I am that I could do this really hard thing. Are you tracking with me? And I think something similar is happening at this moment in Galatians. Um, They've got to do something really hard. And the only way they can do it is by leaning into an identity that can overshadow the difficulty, if that makes sense. He's telling them, y'all, brothers and sisters, it's in verse 28. He says, y'all who trust that that you're already embraced by the Messiah, you're Isaac. You're the children of promise. You are the miracle. The prophet Isaiah was right. God is in the business of growing gardens in barren wastelands and growing children in barren wombs. It's just an average day in the life of God, bringing life where there was no life. You were dead. You were dead. And God has made you alive. That is true. I need you to believe it. I need you to know that it's true because if you're not grounded in that identity, then you're not going to be empowered to do what needs to be done. Because like Isaac, you are being hunted and haunted by slavery. We all are being hunted and haunted by slavery. Every single day, verse 29. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. And so Paul is saying, you've got to throw out, you've got to throw off whoever or whatever is enslaving you. Verse 30. Because verse one of chapter five, you, have been set free. You've been set free and you're meant to live in freedom. And so don't wander back into any kind of slavery. And it's hard to throw out or to throw off the slaveries that want to keep us trapped. It's really hard. Whether it's a slavery to like an unhealthy relationship or to unhealthy work habits or slavery to holding the world together for other people, for others, or slavery to avoiding negative emotions in general, just gonna push them over this way, or pretending to be perfect is a kind of slavery. To the, the normal ones, the, the alcohol, the pornography, the shopping, the food, the whatever it is, some kind of slavery hunts us and haunts us, every single one of us. And Paul is leveraging the same truth that helped me when I was covered in vomit. He's saying, um, who we are guides what we do. He's telling the Galatians, you can, you can kick slavery to the curb because you are free. Who you are, you are free. Like at the deepest levels of reality, that is going to guide you through the hard waters of what you're going to have to do. Because Paul, it has to be done because Paul also recognizes the other side of this, which is that what we do ends up shaping who we are. Our choices, our decisions, our habits, those things, what we do, are shaping our identity. 
like how we view ourselves and how others view us and even like what we're becoming. All of our choices, like, of course they are. Life isn't a game. Like what we do matters. My decisions really do change things in the world. That's my hope half the time. And then the other half the time, I hope that my decisions don't matter because I'm screwing things up, you know? I'm not describing anything that we're not familiar with. We all know this. We know that what we do shapes who we are and that who we are ends up guiding what we do. But the hard thing is all of us are hunted and haunted by slavery. And when we are, like we want to experience, there's no one in the room who wants to stay in slavery. But this cycle becomes like really confusing because it quickly becomes like a chicken and an egg kind of thing. It quickly becomes, I start feeling like, well, I, I'm not really sure who I am anymore because what I do has been awful. I've been in slavery, like reinforcing a story of who I am. I've been becoming that. And that doesn't feel like who I used to be or even who I was made to be. And then here's the thing, shame starts creeping in. You know the difference between guilt and shame, right? Guilt is feeling bad about what I've done on the right side. I've done something wrong and shame is feeling bad about who I am. I am something wrong. And just like the worst hurricanes form in the warmest of waters, the, deep, the heaviest of chains that we carry end up forming in the deepest shame that we have. It's like, that's where slavery's getting its power. Of course I can't beat this slavery because slavery is what I do. I do slavery and that makes me a slave. And slaves can't do freedom. I'm stuck in these chains and I'm gonna stay stuck. I'm not alone in the room, am I? And we would stay stuck if it weren't for the gospel. We see Paul gospeling the Galatians right here. The truth of the good news steps in and interrupts the whole cycle and says, stop the chicken, stop the egg. Not a slave, not an outsider. It doesn't matter how long you have been enslaved or how long you've been on the outside, you can throw that slide up. You are righteous, you belong. You are forgiven, you're part of the family, you're a daughter, you're a son. My child is what he speaks. He's... The whole point of the biblical story in general, the whole point of the gospel is it's about a hurricane of horrible human choices and the God who ventures into the eye of the hurricane and stops the whole process with a whisper. My child, you've been doing slavery for so long. Well, be that as it may, you're not a slave. You are not forgotten. You are not worthless. You are not weak. You are my child. 
world. You're my child in chains, but you are still my child. And the longer I live, the more important this becomes. God ventures right into the middle of this hurricane of identity confusion, and he interrupts the whole cycle. God gets to say who you are, and God defines who you are, and he defines you as my child, treasured, loved, strong, and free. That is the heart of the gospel that you are invited to believe this morning. You are the father's child whom he loves. You are the miracle. It's not someone else. It's you. He claims you. God eternally loves you. He forever claims you. You can't change it. So go ahead and breathe it in and begin to trust it. And as you begin to believe it again and again and again, you're going to be empowered to wade into the messy process, the hard things that need to be done of learning to live in the freedom of being God's child. God is speaking blessing into you. And eventually that blessing is going to set you free. And so Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, you are the son who shares your sonship, your childness with us. And we ask this morning that you would be meeting us here at this table that you would be casting off the chains that have us in bondage, that you would be speaking identity into us, that we would hear you this morning, that our hearts would burn with the presence of your Holy Spirit, and we would know beyond anything we have ever known that we are loved by you right now. We ask that that knowledge would help empower us into the life you're calling us into, into the freedom and the glory of being the children of God. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.